Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Jumbo African family, this is the African Liberation Media Podcast. I am Baba Makaru in the studio tonight with Brother Almost Capricara, Brother Gullah Jack, also known as Russell A. Swilly, is on the line. Uh, this podcast uh, will be available to our listening audience on August the 12th, Monday, August the 12th. And we have a lot of issues to cover, including a lot of confusion about what is and what isn't white supremacy based on uh, the latest outbreak of quote-unquote mass killings in the United States. We have a white supremacist, many white supremacists condemning white supremacy, which does nothing but create a lot of confusion in the minds of people. We know, of course, there's nothing more than the rhetorical ethic, but it needs to be discussed. We also have uh, several other issues. There was a, we published a post by a writer who said all American presidents were racist. We also had uh, Dr. Eddie Glaude, the chairman of the African, African-American uh, Studies Department at Princeton, making a statement that we found ridiculous. And... We had a brother killed in Winston-Salem. We, we keep falling into the same trap of responding to these Neanderthugs, letting our emotions get in the best of us. We also uh, would like to discuss the Rich Paul rule, this latest move uh, that's, that's, that's been uh, enacted, I guess, by the NCAA. Brother Almost is going to talk about that. And then we have a few words about our esteemed, our newest esteemed ancestor, Tony Morrison. So welcome to the show, African family. Uh, last weekend was another bloody weekend in the United States of America, a country, of course, which is constructed on the foundation of crimes against humanity, founded by criminals, genocide, <coughs> the enslavement of, of African people, the theft of indigenous people's land, the theft of African labor, and this violent society continues to just uh, show what it really is all about. Uh, at least uh, 31 people so far were killed in two mass shootings, one in El Paso, Texas, and one in Dayton, Ohio. Six of the nine people killed in Dayton were people of African descent, one brother from Eritrea. And in those, in more than 50 people were wounded in those two shootings. And these shootings, because the, 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 the shooter in El Paso left the manifesto where he said that he specifically targeted people of Hispanic descent, but he wanted to make sure that the uh, current president was not blamed 
for, for his actions. And so his response, so the, the president then had, was forced to, uh, to make a response to, uh, you know, what this, uh, what this guy said, the guy down in, in, uh, in El Paso, I'm trying to find his, his manifesto. Um, but basically he was saying that he was responding to what he called an invasion of uh, an, an Hispanic invasion of, uh, of Texas. He said, this attack is, in re is a response to the Hispanic invasion of Texas. And he said that my ideology has not changed for several years. My opinions on automation, immigration, and the rest predate Trump and his campaign for the president. Remember, it is not cowardly to pick on low-hanging fruit. Don't attack heavily guarded areas to fulfill your super soldier COD fantasy. Attack low security targets. So he went on to make a lot of statements. He said, I'm against race mixing because it destroys genetic diversity. I mean, it was, you know, some of the things he said actually uh, <laughs> made some sense in, in, in one context where he was, where he was actually criticizing the United States government for, he said, you know, that, that mass killings by the government is okay. <laughs> and uh, he said the people who, who accept one form of mass killings and not others are hypocritical. Mm. Yeah, that, that, you know, that was, that was amazing. I might be able to read that a little bit later on. I'm trying to, you know, thrum through and get all this stuff. So we published a post called In the Context of Hypocrisy as a Way of Life, Double speak from the institutionalized white supremacist Donald Trump. Trump said, and we, we, we know that he believes absolutely none of this, and he certainly demonstrates none of this. We are a loving nation, and our children are entitled to grow up in a just, peaceful, and loving society. We know that he doesn't believe one word. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. So that statement from, um, from, from, from the president, and it was echoed by several other people who stepped forward to condemn, quote unquote, white supremacy. And these people who are doing the condemning are institutionalized white supremacists themselves. And this is primarily why the, uh, the writer that was interviewed on press TV made the statement that every American president from George Washington forward has been a racist. And he went on to explain, you know, how, how that operates. So what I wanted to do just, just for, to make sure our audience clearly understand where we're coming from when we talk about racism and white supremacy we rely on primarily the the work that's been done by Neely Fuller, Brother Neely Fuller, Dr. Francis Crest Wilson, Dr. Marimba Arnie, Amos N. Wilson, and others. And they have uh, some, some very uh, significant definitions that we need to use. So first, I'm going to read Dr. Wilson's definition. And then I'm going to read another definition by a person that many people are not familiar with. She's a former, former member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. But let me read Dr. Wilson's definition first. Racism and white supremacy is the local and global system and dynamic structured and maintained by people who classify themselves as white, whether consciously or subconsciously determined, 
which consists of patterns of perception, logic, symbol formation, thoughts, speech actions, and emotional response as conducted simultaneously in all areas of people activity, including economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war for the ultimate purpose of white genetic survival and to prevent white genetic annihilation on the planet Earth, the planet upon which the vast majority and overwhelming majority of people are classified as non-white, black, brown, red, and yellow by white-skinned people. So, so that's that's Dr. Wilson. And so when so when you hear the the mass killer in El Paso said he he is initiating that attack because he's trying to prevent the uh, Hispanic as a response to what he called the Hispanic invasion of Texas. This is clearly consistent with this fear of genetic annihilation. It's clear that it's driven by the uh, the ultimate purpose of, you know, Ensuring white genetic survival. Okay, so that's Dr. Welsing. Now, Elizabeth Martinez, who was a member of SNCC and who actually collaborated, one of the one of the uh, several people who collaborated with uh, Brother Kwame Ture on the book Black Power: The Politics of Liberation in America. Dr. Elizabeth Martinez says that white supremacy is a historically based, institutionally perpetuated system of exploitation and oppression of continents, nations, and people of color by white peoples and nations of the European continent for the purpose of maintaining and defending a system of wealth, power, and privilege. The most common mistake people make when they talk about racism is to think it is a collection of prejudice and individual acts of discrimination. They do not see it as a system, a web of interlocking, reinforcing institutions, economic, military, legal, educational, religious, and cultural. As a system, racism affects every aspect of life in a country. By not seeing that racism is systemic, part of a system, people often personalize or individualize racist acts. For example, they re will reduce racist police behavior to a few bad apples who need to be removed rather than seeing that it exists in police departments all over the country and is basic to society. This mistake has real consequences, refusing to see police brutality as part of a system and that the system needs to be changed. Means of brutality will continue. That unless the system of, is changed, means of brutality will continue. The need to recognize racism as being systemic is one reason the term white supremacy is more useful than the term racism. So the, the, the consistency between uh, these two great scholars, our ancestor, Dr. Wilson and Dr. Martinez, is that they both identify white supremacy as a system. And what Donald Trump and all of these other people are, are attempting to do is reduce it to the acts of a few individuals. And so that's why we must, we have to be vigilant. We know that, um, you know, our voice doesn't reach uh, the voices of the mainstream media, but still for the people who we can reach, we need to make sure that we clearly understand that we're talking about a system, a global system that has uh, uh, been acutely in effect for at least the past 500 years in, in terms of the development of the ideology and the execution of, of conquering the continents that, that were occupied by people of people of color, primarily the African continent and the so-called Americas. 
So uh, that's what I wanted to open up with and uh, let the other brothers respond to that. It's just critically important that we keep this in mind that by removing any president, vice president, governor, mayor, whoever, even CEOs of corporations will not remove or change the system of white supremacy because it is part of a process that has that has been ongoing for at least 500 years. Go ahead, brothers. Oh, uh, Shay. Uh, quick comment, brother. We want to, of course, pay homage to our sister Toni Morrison. She made a very poignant uh, comment in The New Yorker several years ago. I happened to read it. You know, she writes that uh, incest is less of a taboo for the white supremacists versus the acknowledgement of one drop of black blood. You know, I found that very interesting. You know, once again, incest is less of a taboo for the white supremacists than the acknowledgement of one drop of black blood. Uh, also, brother, relative to what you said, uh, you know, it's clear it's, it's structural as well as uh, personal and uh the, these heinous acts, of course, are grounded, rooted in white supremacy. Yeah, but, but but along with that, and it has been stated many times, you know, whenever you have a, a dominant culture that experiences some type of uh, upheaval, they tend to respond in ways, you know, i.e. Uh, excessive lifting of weights, uh, anything to restore their... Uh, man cred, you know, twin with the reality of white supremacy, as you so well uh, art articulated. In other words, I was uh, looking at some stuff today. The uh, Bushmaster Firearm Production Company, uh, they unveiled an advertising campaign for its popular uh, .223 caliber semi-automatic semi rifle uh the civilian version of a fully automatic weapon used by U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan and Iraq, the campaign invited men to have their man cards reissued. <laughs> you know, by answering a series of manhood questions and then presumably buying this gun. Of course, after the uh, tragedy in Florida, uh, Stoneman Douglas, they removed the ad, but uh, clearly... You know, we find this uh, devaluation, or at least, you know, the white man perceiving himself as being devalued, uh, obviously tries to respond in some type of uh, compensatory ways uh, to the detriment even of himself. As quiet as it's kept, uh, you find a lot of these Europeans who are become the victim of their own dogma, the dogma being that... Um, Resources are being assaulted, or resources are threatened by these black marauders, even in the midst of a uh, national tragedy. I'll give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about down in uh, Florida, where I grew up in the wake of Hurricane Michael. There was this white woman who was driving from Mexico Beach into uh, the Tyndall Air Force Base area. She had a gun in her hand. Uh, in anticipation of looters in the wake of the storm. 
uh, her husband happened to slam on brakes to avoid some debris. We're still talking about 80 miles an hour winds in the aftermath of the storm. And her response reflexively was to clench her hands when her her husband uh, slammed on brakes abruptly. You know, the... uh, (laughs) She clenched the fist and shot herself in the head. <laughs> now, we, we can say that she died by suicide, but there was some deeper stuff going on in her head. You know, it's the dogma that I was referring to. Uh, I mean, what really killed it? It, it, it was her whiteness or her attachment to this dogma that uh, blacks were on the verge of taking whatever resources she had in the midst of a storm or that danger was impending. And, and, and you find this thing uh, occurring over and over again. You know, like last week when we uh, convened, you know, I, we, we, we related the story that uh, actually statistical facts that, you know, many whites are killing themselves as a result of being in close proximity to these firearms that they have uh, amassed to protect themselves from. Uh, these imagined black marauders. You know, we saw this during the, um, uh, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina at the Danziger Bridge. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, <laughs> you know, white supremacy clearly is killing us, but as quietly as it's kept, it's also killing them too. They will never grasp it. The fact that they are dying of their whiteness you know, we can go on and on and on. You know, I mean, the ridiculousness of you refusing Obamacare, even though you've been diagnosed as having uh, a type C ailment, having that ailment uh, get worse to the point where you become jaundiced as a result of liver damage, and then you end up dying without Obamacare, uh, which, you know, could have saved your life. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, what's going on in your head? You're trying to uphold this white sense of valor, this honor that, uh, this honor code that you will not succumb to uh, uh, the usage of government resources because it puts you on par with the, uh, with the racialized others. I mean, it, 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 it has to be, like Wilson articulated, the number one sickness. The number, Francis Wilson told us, bro, that it was the number one sickness in the world today, white supremacy, the number one religion, white supremacy and its sacrament racism. But but go ahead, brother, just some, just some opening thoughts. Yeah, with that, you have a lot of people that don't want to use the term white supremacy because they always try to say that we're talking about white people being better than us and more supreme than us, and that's not what we're saying. Come that's on. not what... Francis West Wilson and Neely Fuller or Amos Wilson or anyone else is saying they're saying that it's a system like you stated Baba Makaru and you did a very good critical analysis this week of the situation that happened with our brother who's an ancestor now John Crawford who walked into a Walmart and picked up a toy BB gun that was on the shelf outside I mean inside of that Walmart that he was in and he carried it around the store as he was walking through the store shopping and he was abruptly killed by the police as soon as they entered into the store. They, they shot him without any questions, without even telling him to put the weapon down. They just came around the corner and shot him. You can watch the surveillance camera that showed this. But yet here is another situation where you have the real threat, the real terror, the white boy who comes in with the assault rifle 
the cameras show him walking in the front door <laughs> and he mm. kills these people and wounds all of these people and he's taken alive. Once <laughs> again, he's taken alive. This is evidence of what we say white supremacy. That's the system that we're talking about. The system that would keep the white killer, the white terrorist alive and not shoot him down because they value his life. Exactly. That's the system of white supremacy. Another thing I want to point out is the fact that so many Mexicans come over here wanting to be white. Mm -hmm. And in many cases, wow. you know, when they fill out the census, they'll classify themselves as white. They will. Or, or they get a driver's license and their driver's license will say white. Mm -hmm. But now the finger is pointing back at them the same way the finger has been pointed at us for hundreds of thousands of years. Now they're beginning to see, or they should have seen this a long time ago, you know. But they're now starting to see that it's the opposition against them. Yes, sir. So, you know, the people try to say, you know, that it should be black and brown unity. It's never been that way for black people, Mexican people. We've always been looked down upon by Mexican people. Don't let them fool you into thinking that we supposed to somehow unify with them to fight against white people. No, neither one of them are our friends. Well, and, 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 what, and what you're saying, Brother Almost, has been documented in studies. Come on. Uh, two studies that uh, came out, um, I don't know, maybe in the late 1990s, early 2000s, one by uh, uh, actually an, an Hispanic professor, Dr. Uh, Tanya Hernandez. And there was another one by a sister at, uh, at Duke University. Her name is Dr. McLeod. I can't. I don't know if I can't remember if her name was Paula or Pamela. What the studies, what the studies they reveal, the studies they did reveal that Hispanics come to the United States from Latin America and South America already infused with white supremacist attitudes towards people of African descent. See, this, this is why we talk about a glo the global system of white supremacy. Yes, because, because their capacity to influence the way people speak, to, to, to manipulate, to control, people's, to control people's thinking, uh, to define their reality, is global. Dr. Clark, John Henry Clark, called it the globalization of human, uh, the, Euro the Europeanization of human consciousness. Mm. See this, this you see it in China, you 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 see you see it in India, you you see it everywhere, and uh, you know in the Arab world, wherever wherever this 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 Europeanization of human consciousness, and so what has happened is in the United States, everybody who has come here has considered themselves to be above, better than, something other than the Negro mm -hmm. or the N-word. This, this is just facts, and, and it's, documented, it's documented in studies, and, and, and we, see, we see it in a lot of the uh, gang killings in, in places like Los, Los Angeles where, 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 where black people are gunned down because they moved into a predominantly Hispanic community, just um, no different from what what might have happened or what did happen in Mississippi or Alabama, mm -hmm. you know, during the um, at the end of the civil rights era, when some of our people 
wanted to leave our communities and move into white neighborhoods and they were met with burning crosses and and shotgun uh, pellets, uh, a buckshot flying through their windows and, and these types of things. You see you see the same kind of thing. So so uh, what what Trump has done, he has kind of blown the lid off of this this level of security that the that these people may have thought they had that they that they were something other than or better than and you know he has put a bull's eye on them and wow. it is it's tragic it's tragic in the sense that it takes something like this perhaps for not now look I'm not condemning the whole Hispanic community because there are a lot like I said, Dr. You know, uh, you know, Tanya Hernandez and, and, and many of her colleagues are, are people at the forefront of recognizing, look, the problem is white supremacy. I'm condemning the ones that act white. Yeah, exactly. Because, because yeah. when Europeans feel like they're survivors under attack, yeah. they will attack anybody, even people within their own race. Exactly. They will. They'll kill people within their own race to survive. That's a fact. So I don't know why the Mexicans would think that they can come in here and try to equate themselves with white people and that white people are not going to turn around and point the finger at them like they're the enemy or, or they're the problem. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I think some of them are equating, but you know, I think the major problem for us is that they view us through the lens, through a, 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 a large percentage of them, according to Dr. Hernandez, the majority who come to this country are already infused with white supremacist ideas about us. So, you know, to me, the problem is that they, I guess they thought sort of like the Jews that, that, that we would become a buffer, you know, between the, uh, at least between the raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic and them. And, you know, so, so they saw themselves as, you know, as better than or looking down on us, which, it, which then, of course, did make them, you know, think that perhaps they were honorary whites or something like that. But I want to respond to one other thing that Gullah Jack said. And, you know, this comes from Dr. Welsing. And I've been saying this for years that, you know, ever since this whole thing erupted, these, this concern about mass killings uh, erupted, which, uh, um, you know, mass killings are not the, the major problem of violence in this country. Uh, at least people dying from 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 you know gun violence in this country. Most people die from suicides. Uh, second to suicides is urban violence, which is taking out us. I mean, there's a, there was a study done recently from 2017. Forty thousand people died from suicides. Almost forty thousand died from suicides. Fourteen thousand died from urban violence, and the total number of people that had died in mass killings between 2001 and the and the time this study was done and I guess it was done in 2017 or 2018 was barely over 500. So so 14,000 people dying in urban violence, and in uh, I just looked at the uh, statistics today to the extent that you can believe them. For example, uh, so far this year there have been 307 uh, homicides in Chicago, 82 percent of the victims are classified as people of African descent. So, I mean, this urban violence has, 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 has been taking us out right and left. Uh, but you know, now all of the tension is on mass killings, but, but, but here's what I wanted to say. 
that the 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 white power structure is willing mm. to sacrifice the lives of white people who will die in these killings in places like uh, Las Vegas and uh, Orlando, Stoneman Douglas, uh, Sandy Hook Elementary School, because they feel their survival is dependent upon having an armed white public. And the way Dr. Wilson explained it in uh, the ISIS papers was, she said the gun as a symbol in the white supremacist system and culture cannot be banned because it is the symbolic phallus substitute for the white male. She's saying that the white male's phallus cannot genetically annihilate black people, but the gun can. And that's why it would never be banned. So they are willing, they consider the white people who die in these killings, Aurora, Colorado, uh, Columbine, they consider them to be nothing more than collateral damage in order to keep the white public armed because the white public is considered to be their first line of defense. And this is the reason why the federal government has never gone after the raw elements of the white supremacy dynamic. They have never gone after them, uh, particularly the way they went after us during the COINTELPRO era. They've never, they've never, they've never gone. They had agents inside the Ku Klux Klan. They knew who planted the bomb that that killed Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley at the 16th Street Baptist Church in 1963. Their infiltrators were there. They they helped do it, and they never attempted to do anything about it. Never attempted to arrest anybody. And it was up to the state to. Uh, arrest, you know, Dynamite Bob Chamless and Bobby Frank Cherry and the others. So so th this is what we have to understand. They willing, they are willing to sacrifice. They have been willing to sacrifice. Now, will, 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 will that change? You know, I, I don't know. But they have been willing to sacrifice these people. But whatever happens, they are not going. Gun control is not going to happen. That that's that's just that's just out because they it doesn't matter that white people that some white people are dying they have to have an armed white public and they are going to have an armed white public because they consider that to be their first line of defense and if something happens in this country the only way they would ever enforce any type of gun legislation or gun control is if the white militias turned on the police and the military if the white militias went out and started killing police in mass that's when you see the government finally step in and say, we're going to take these weapons. But you, know, you know, happen, brother, it's not going to happen. You, you know, to that point, um, you know, the raw elements of white supremacy have always been ignorant and blind to, I guess you would call it a class analysis. I don't know why I heard this, but if they were to attack, say, Goldman Sachs, Wall Street, and its shadow government, uh, perhaps you, we would see uh, the most uh, stringent uh, gun control legislation enacted immediately if they went after the power structure. Uh, I think that's what you alluded to. But I, I, I mean, clearly, historically, and we all can attest to the fact that um, they have been the shock troops of the ruling elite 
in attacking progressive organizations, whether you're talking about Dr. King um, interfering with um, their global initiatives to make money off war, global expectations. Uh, Dr. King referred to the triplets, evil triplets of racism, imperialism, and economic exploitation. So we're talking about uh, changing that balance of power. Uh, just through his rhetoric alone, uh, poor people's campaign, uh, you know, these type of initiatives whereby, you know, he was arguing, argue, arguing for a radical redistribution of wealth and these kind of cr- critical issues. I mean, you know, the Cluxes historically we know have been just ignorant to the fact that they're part, that, that, that they've been exploited. I guess what I'm trying to say is they have been co-partners with the ruling class in the dual expre- in, in the dual exploitation of black people in particular in a progressive movements, uh, generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, you know, the ruling class, they got a good game going. We've always known this and, 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 you know, to paraphrase brother Wilson, the game continues. Right. Let's uh, a tooth as hell. <laughs> you don't have a pot to piss in, but you support an unfettered capitalist system. You know, white man, what is your problem? You're sick, <laughs> incurably sick. Yeah, let's let let's move. Uh, we got we have this uh, one response from uh, Dr. Eddie Glaude. No, oh, uh, yeah, okay, a renowned uh, African African American uh, scholar, so to speak, uh, from Princeton University. He, he had a response to uh, to what happened this week. You know. America's not unique in its sins Hmm. as a country. We're not unique in our evils, to be honest with you. Um, I think where where we may be singular is our our refusal to acknowledge them Hmm. Hmm. and the legends and myths we tell about our inherent, you know, goodness uh, to hide and cover and conceal so that we can maintain a kind of willful ignorance that protects our innocence. See, the thing is that when the Tea Party was happening, we used people were we were saying pundits. Oh, it's just about economic populism. <laughs> it's not about race. When people knew, people knew. Social scientists were already writing that what was driving the Tea Party were anxieties about economic demographic anxiety. shifts, that the country was changing, that they were seeing these racially ambiguous babies on, on Cheerios commercials, that the country wasn't quite feeling like it was a white nation anymore, and people were screaming from the top of their lungs, yo, this is not just simply economic populism. This is the ugly underbelly of the country. See, the thing is, is this, and I'll say this, and I'll take the hit on it. There are communities that have had to bear the brunt of America confronting, white Americans confronting the danger of their innocence. And it happens every generation. So somehow we have to kind of, oh my God, is this who we are? And just again, another, here's another generation of babies. Think about it, that two-year-old had his bones broken by two parents trying to shield him from being killed. A woman who has been married to this man for as long as I've been on the planet almost, lost lost her husband. For what? And so what we know is that the country has been playing politics for a long time on this hatred. We know this. So it's easy for us to place it all on Donald Trump's shoulders. 
It's easy for us to place Pittsburgh on his shoulders. It's easy for me to place Charlottesville on his shoulders. It's easy for us to place El Paso on his shoulders. This is us. And if we're going to get past this, we can't blame it on him. He's a manifestation of the ugliness that's in us. I've had the privilege of growing up in a tradition that didn't believe in the myths and the legends because we had to bear the brunt of them. Either we're going to change, Nicole, or we're going to do this again and again, and babies are going to have to grow up without mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts, friends, while we're trying to convince white folk to finally leave behind a history that will maybe, maybe, or embrace a history that might set them free from being white. Finally. Finally. What else? Lord help us. <laughs> so Gullah Jack, oh. you had a you had a response to that on uh, African Liberation Media, and uh, you you said that identification with the with the oppressor is absolutely ridiculous. So, uh, what what drove you to make that make that comment after hearing this? Uh, I I thought the brother was gonna start crying at at, at any moment. Yeah. I mean, you know, what about you know we. Uh, in, in 2011, people in Chicago had a vigil for 260 school-aged children. Mm. 260 school-aged children who had been killed in the previous three years. No tears from the then-president Obama or his wife. His wife. No tears. Where, 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 where were all of these people then? When these black children being gunned down in Chicago, but uh, but he he said this is on us. What is he talking about, Gullah Jack? Hey, brother, well, you were the gadfly, the catalyst. You know, I, I saw the contradictions. Um, and I mean, you know, it's like you stated, Macaroo. I didn't have a damn. We didn't have a damn thing to do with. Okay, sixteen, nineteen. We didn't have a darn thing to do with uh, two hundred forty-six years of shadow enslavement, the lynchings and the murder, you know, I mean, going on, you can, the trail of tears, uh, Chinese Exclusion Act, we didn't have a damn thing to do with that. So uh, it is not on us, it's on white supremacy, it's on Andrew Jackson, brother, you said it. I mean, you were actually the catalyst, and, um, you know, I, I, I like the comment you said, um, you attributed to John Henry Clark, uh, you and Brother Amos, I know Henry Clark is his man, the Europeanization of human consciousness and how the Cherokee got confused, how Negroes are confused, and how the uh, Hispanics have had this wake-up call, many of them, uh, hopefully. Of course, we've always had uh, mutants, but in the dominant mass or critical mass, clearly, uh, th this is a key concept, the, the Europeanization of uh, human consciousness. Now, the brother did um, mention the fact that, uh, you know, when I took a look at uh, what you presented on African Liberation Media, he did look at the fact that I come from a tradition, okay, that uh, does not believe the white hype, does not believe in the white mythology, you know, but that's what Sister Ani talks about, you know, and, and Amos Wilson say, you know, when we think from our culture, culture, I'm, I'm quoting Malcolm, I'm quoting Brother uh, Amos Wilson, certainly it's not my own, 
It is an intellectual system. It allows us to conceptualize the world. That's one of the key things I got uh, from Brother Wilson. And that's what Malcolm used to use to debate these scholars and really just cut them to shreds when he went to these um, academies of lower learning, whether he was at uh, uh, Oxford University, you fill in the blank, you know, he would speak from a nationalist African culture which is, you know, I realize that early age is far superior in terms of conceptualizing the world, demystifying the white man, which is what I love doing. Uh, Dr. Carruthers talked about uh, intellectual warfare. Uh, you know, to break this, brother, you quoted, this monopoly that they have on our minds, you know, if it's not, uh, if the cultural if the if the cultural battle is not waged, I've heard you you said, brother. Not only is liberation impossible, it is un unthinkable. You know, and and it, I was just struck by the fact that a man <laughs> with supposedly a high level of knowledge could not synthesize well enough the black tradition. You know, now. <laughs> There are contradictions <laughs> I find within myself, but I mean, but doggone it, 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 I was expecting a deeper analysis. I didn't expect you to, left the, the, to let the white folk off the hook, but I was thinking, Gullah Jack Russ, I say perhaps uh, in order to receive public view, he had to politicize, he had to be political given this uh, platform. Well, he said he came from the tradition, but then he quick, he, he quickly assimilated himself into the tradition of white supremacy. Actually, it was Brother Almost that alerted me to this. He had picked it up on uh, 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 something from Sean King. And uh, so go ahead, Brother Almost. Tell me what you what, what you thought about it. Well, it's the typical it's the typical Negro assimilation, this way of softening, <laughs> the, softening the blow. You know, they don't want to hurt white people too bad. Okay. And, and, okay. And and, and and see, this is a a, a typical error in uh, the action of of many of these quote unquote scholars is that they try to educate and enlighten white people to try to get them to a level where they will somehow empathize <laughs> with the conditions and the treatment of black people. And hoping that this will someday, hopefully, help them to change their ways against us. Magical so, thinking, brother. So when Eddie Gloss says us, he's simply softening the blow so that they don't get offended in his hopes that maybe they will listen to him. Mm, mm, but what he doesn't mm. understand is that this is a failed process that has failed over and over and over and over again from generation to generation, and we continue to do it, not realizing that the real way that you get people to listen to you is that you have to put a foot in their ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way it's gonna happen. The only the only thing that they're gonna listen to is money and power. That's it. Yes, sir. If you don't possess those two things, or if you don't possess the ability to control those two things, then you wasting your time and you wasting your breath. Yeah, nobody tried harder than Dr. King. I mean, Dr. King was a firm believer that that there was a moral conscience that you could use moral suasion 
to convince a majority. Uh, you know, he believed this in the 60s, by 19, uh, early 60s and mid 60s, you know, when he had his dream, he 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 obviously still believed it. You know, when he went on his fantasy flight of freedom from Stone Mountain, Georgia, to the heightening uh, Alleghenies of Pennsylvania and snow-capped Rockies, Colorado. But but I think later he he come to, he came to realize that you know what Kwame Ture and those were saying. There is no moral conscience. <laughs> there is no there is no moral conscience because th- this this is why these definitions that I read in the beginning. When people are driven by these types of fears that they are going to be wiped off the planet, <laughs> there's nothing you can appeal to that, that that's going that's going to prevent that. And, and quite frankly, we should have we should feel the same way about our lives, that black lives are precious, that, that our lives have value. Now, the way I responded to it, I said this is a flawed Root cause analysis, the pitfalls of assimilationism, the failure to distinguish between them, the white supremacy dynamic, and us. As if we, people of African descent, initiated the theft of indigenous people's lands and genocide against them. As if we initiated chattel slavery, if we betrayed and overthrew Reconstruction and initiated American apartheid, lynching, the new Jim Crow, and other aspects of the third cycle of white supremacy in the United States. It's not us. We have we don't have the power to eat, to be able to determine our own destiny. Mm. Now, granted, that now granted, they have that they have you know with Christmas addicts, the Buffalo soldiers, and others have participated in some of these you know acts uh, uh, against uh, their own interest. But in terms of saying this is, he said this is on us. And, you know, here he is sitting up there, you know, uh, a, 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 a person of African descent in America. And this is this 400 years that our people have have been under this system. We're not talking about the people that were here before the uh, the advent of British colonial North America, where all this was set in motion. But it's not on us. This is the white supremacy dynamic. And people need to be able to call that out and say this. This this is this is this is the results of a society constructed on the foundation of crimes against humanity, a, a society that was founded by criminals, that is mm. that has been inherited by criminals, and is still run by criminals. Well, it, yes, it, it, it goes to show that he is an assimilationist. So he's speaking from his assimilationist mindset and, and way of thinking that he considers himself to be a part of the American uh, the American country. You know, th- he, he feels that this is his country and, and that the things that happen in history, he involves himself, he doesn't separate himself from the whites who did that. He joins them in saying that I'm a part of you, this is a part of what my ancestors also contributed to. And when people promote stuff like this, this is one thing you also have to look at. Because when Sean King put this out there, he put it out there as if Eddie Gloss was making a brilliant statement. Oh, Lord. No, sir. So this really shows his, oh my it, shows, God. it shows his way. This is where you have to really watch wow. your, your, uh, your, your, your quote-unquote leaders or activists, right? They claim to be activists, but really... 
in all honesty, they're assimilationists because for him to co-sign this, he has that same mindset, same way of thinking. These people would rather change the system, try to change the system in America, hoping that black people can cooperatively live with white people peacefully rather than taking over the system or gaining your own power structure. Wow. I didn't know I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't know the king was putting it out as a as a positive statement. He said, listen to the end. Once again, another brilliant statement by Eddie Gloss. Wow. Well, I, you know, it was contradictory. And, and, and the thing that I kept wrestling with is that, um, you know, I've driven on Highway 98 uh, in route to Louisiana, Texas, Colorado. This brother's from Moss Point, Mississippi, man. You know, I mean, well aware of the history in Mississippi. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody should, it wasn't necessary for anybody to call him the N-word. Growing up in Moss Point, Mississippi, you could determine uh, the stratification by the built environment. Me growing up, too, in Florida. You know, I knew what streets had street lights and what streets were not paved and what streets flooded when it rained. You know, so he has this history. He has this history. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, whether you're talking about 2019 or 1819, 1919, you know, the European constant is what it is. You know, the more things superficially that change, the more they remain the same at the structural level. He should be well aware of the fact that, you know, the power differential between the white man and the black man has not changed since 1619. <laughs> see, the, the problem the, the problem is that we're attacking the problem incorrectly. You see, you have these people who come out here and they make these statements. A lot of them come from positions at you know universities, predominantly white universities, right? People like the Cornell West, people like the Henry Lewis, Skip Gates, people like Eddie Gloss, and they come out and they make these statements for. African people but these statements are really weak statements that put us in a weak position mm. and I'll give you an example or an and analogy. he's not thinking about the, he's not thinking about the masses they're not thinking about the masses from the proper perspective of what will ultimately be the proper solution to our problems if I'm a mechanic and I'm working on your car and I tell you that you got a blown head gasket. So anybody that knows anything about vehicles knows that a blown head gasket is, is one of the worst things you can have on a car because you're going to probably have to replace your whole engine. Mm -hmm. Right? What we're doing is, instead of us saying, okay, we got to just bite the bullet and go ahead and deal with this problem, the only way we know is really going to fix the problem, which is ultimately we're going to have to at some point, have confrontation and take power from the European. That's just an inevitable, an inevitable fact. What we're trying to do is we're trying to put silicone on the gasket. <laughs> we're trying to patch it up because it's easier on our pockets. We can't afford to take that whole engine out and put another three, four thousand, five thousand dollar engine in. We're trying to take twenty dollars and go down to the shade tree mechanic and have them put some silicone on there, hoping that we can just drive it a little bit longer. 
Mm. And then when it blows again, we put some more silicone on it again. Mm. So the car never really gets fixed because we don't want to really make that sacrifice and really put up hard earned money to get it done. We continue to drive the broken down car. Wow. <laughs> let's uh, let's switch gears, brother, because something ha- something happened that um, that uh, will actually uh, affect uh, 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 a lot of our brothers that are pursuing uh, an athletic career through uh, being enrolled in these uh, institutions, uh, these uh, power institutions. Uh, Power Five conferences in the uh, in the NCAA and and then uh, Division One one basketball. Um, talk to us about what happened with the this ruling that that LeBron James and others very quickly described as the Rich Paul rule. Well, this happened recently last week, where the end uh, the NCAA came out and they actually changed the requirements for an underclassman to be able to work with an agent. They said that an agent, um, and this is for the underclassman to be able to work with an agent and also retain his eligibility if he decides to go back to school. So the agent that he works with has to have a bachelor's degree has to be certified by the NBA Players Association for at least three years, for the, for the last three years, and has to pass an in-person exam administered at the NCAA National Office in Indianapolis. Now, the first requirement, bachelor's degree, it doesn't state what your bachelor's degree has to be in. It doesn't say that you have to have anything that's related to financial management, sports management, or anything like that. It just says simply a bachelor's degree. And we know that this rule was implemented as a direct blockage to the NBA agent Rich Paul, who is gaining a lot of power in the uh, NBA or, or the sports arena, the name of the, their company, uh, he he's, uh, works with along with his high school friend, LeBron James. The name of their company is Clutch Sports. So they've signed athletes that range from, you know, Draymond Green, Anthony Davis. Of course, LeBron is also signed under Rich Paul. And they have a lot of influence amongst other players and also players coming out of college. So there was one example where uh, there was a, a a guy, I can't remember his name, that was thinking about going to to college and Rich Paul convinced him instead of going to college and allowing them to make money off of you, why don't you sit here or play here and then come back in a year and then you can enter the NBA draft, which he did, and he was drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what they saw was that, and I, and I believe – that Syracuse was was recruiting this guy, and it was a point in time when Jim Beheim, the head coach of Syracuse, and LeBron sort of got into a Twitter war about how that whole situation played out. So at this time, the whites were seeing that LeBron James and Rich Paul 
have too much power, too much influence. By whites, you mean the the NBA owners? Is that what you're talking about? I, I'm talking about the the college coaches oh, and, the co- okay. and the NCAA. Okay. So they saw that they that uh, Rich Paul was was able to convince a player to not come to school because when these players don't go to school, the NCAA don't make no money. They lose massive amounts of money. Right. So now he's messing with their revenue. Okay. So they put in a rule that specifically targeted towards him because he didn't go to college. Even though the bachelor de- the degree has nothing to do with your acumen in being a sports agent. Because Rich Paul is certified with the NBA Players Association. So he has all of the credentials necessary to know how to run a sports agent business. But now the NBA, I mean the NCAA, throws in this rule that's pretty much going to hold him up for the next four years. Because see, it's a, it's a, it's a double whammy rule. Not only do you have to have a bachelor's degree, you also have to be certified with the NBA Players Association for a minimum of the last three years. So that means that he can't just take somebody off the street that has a bachelor's degree and add them to his team and say, hey, you go out and you sign this player because that person would also have to get signed and certified with the NBA Players Association. Okay. So what this reminded me of was, you know, things like poll tax. Mm. Things Mm. like, you know, the voting the voting laws that, that whites use against black people to stop them from voting. Yeah, the grandfather clause. Where you had to come in and you had to read and be able to recite and explain anything that they wanted you to explain out of the Constitution. Yeah. How many jelly beans are in this jar? Right. God almighty, boy. Yeah, well. Pushing, pushing the, the, the goalposts has been something that whites have done for many years. Every time they feel that African men or African women are starting to, to do well in a, in, in, a, in a particular field or starting to gain too much power. Too much power. Then they change the rules. And this is what we talk about all the time when we talk about what is real power versus yes, sir. being under somebody else's power and influence. Exactly. Because LeBron James, Rich Paul, they make a lot of money. But the whites who run the NCAA had the power to go in and change a rule to try to force him out of their revenue. Yeah, even though, even though, he, he, here's, here, here's a guy who is at the top of his profession in terms of being an agent. Rich Paul is, at, is at, at the top of his profession, right? Draymond Green just signed with him last year and just got a $100 million extension. So he's giving, what he would be giving players would be nothing but quality advice. So it's not in the interest of the players, mm-hmm. right? Because because now because now what you're doing is you're taking a valuable resource away from these young men who are trying to make a decision, right? Right, and and, and I mean, it's one of the things when we, when you talk about people coming into the realization of how this whole thing works, because this is what the Jews have done for years. They've been talentless for a long time, mm-hmm. but they've gone around the world and they've figured out how to control the market. Right. And when you control the market, then you use other people's talent, but you get rich off of it. Okay. 
Yes, so, sir. So what LeBron and these guys are saying is, why not? Not only we possess the talent, but let's also try to control the market. Right. So these whites are saying, no, we're not going to let you control the market. We're going to force you out. Look at LeBron James and Draymond Green. These two guys hated each other on the basketball court back in 2016. Right. When the Cavaliers were playing the Warriors in the finals, Draymond Green called LeBron James the B-word. Exactly. He stepped because of the step over. Right. So even though these guys were enemies on the court, they had enough business sense. Draymond Green had, still had enough business sense to understand that it's more empowering for him to do business with someone that looks like him. Yeah, it's not personal, Sonny. It's on. not personal, Sonny. Yeah. It's business. Hey, exactly. man, hey, classic line from the Godfather. It's not personal. It's business. Yes, it's about business. Right. This, Sonny, this, 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 is some, this is something we need to keep an eye on in terms of, uh, of how, uh, you know, these, uh, these brothers respond to this because, you know, when – when you have achieved the degree of power and they try to take it away, how, how are you going to respond to it? So uh, I know David West quietly, very quietly, probably the most conscious, uh, one of the most conscious athletes, you know, we've seen very quietly. Doesn't have the notoriety of a, of a Muhammad Ali or someone like that, but very quietly is trying to form his own league. For Go ahead, David. For guys that don't want to go to college, so and, we, that's, we, and, and that's something also that you know even Levar Ball did because I mean Levar Ball he really talked about this a long time ago you know as far as the NCAA exploitation right so I mean he 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 formed a league and then as soon as he formed a league what did the uh, the Hats do they turned around and they formed another league for players that don't want to go to college right so I mean. They're going to try to find a way. And this is why we have to get our own. Exactly. exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, exactly. sir. Well, it we require we, a sacrifice, brother. Exactly. Well, we, we're out of time, but we, we, do want, we do want to discuss um, the transition of uh, Sister Toni Morrison, clearly one of the, uh, the great, great uh, writers of, of African descent, person that, that, that told our stories in, in a number of ways. And so I remember, you know, when I was reading uh, Ready for Revolution, The Life and Struggles of Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, he had this entry in here about Toni Morrison and for, for a couple of reasons. And uh, under the chapter, Howard University, Everything and Its Opposite, he's talking about many of the professors that he that he encountered. He talked about, you know, E. Franklin Frazier, uh, uh, William Leo Hansberry, Chancellor Williams. All of these were professors. I mean, can you imagine having those guys for professors, man? Wow. Uh, so he says this. He said, my English teacher, I've never forgotten. She was an instructor and a challenging teacher who was really down with black literature and our people's culture. But this teacher was unusual in one other important aspect. She was young. She was only 10 years uh, older than Kwame. She was young, stylish, and really fine. Her name was Toni Morrison. She and her tall walking partner, another young, equally fine and elegant sister named Eleanor Trailer, would turn heads as they walked across the quadrangle. 
Wow E, man, those are two fine sisters. So naturally, their sections were always over-enrolled with ardent Howard young men who arrived in class to discover with some dismay that, some dismay that the young sisters were really smart and very serious teachers, a combination of assets that made for interesting classes indeed. About eight years later, my teacher and I met again when she would be my editor at Random House for both Black Power and Stokely Speaks. So uh, let me let me just uh, let me just jump ahead because that's interesting that a lot of people don't know that she was the editor for two of Kwame Ture's books, Black wow. uh, Black Power: The Politics of Liberation in America that he wrote with Charles V. Hamilton and Stokely Speaks, Black Power to Pan-Africanism by Stokely Carmichael. And um, what he says, he said, I won't swear, but I think it was after a debate I had with Bayard Rustin in New York on Black Power, and who, who should be in the audience but Miss Toni Morrison. Now an editor and big publisher with Random House, she wondered whether it wouldn't be a valuable, wouldn't it, would, wouldn't it be valuable to expand the Black Power paper I had written into a full-length book, a full discussion of the concept free from media distortion. Hey, the sister was preaching to the converted. She didn't have to convince me. The only problem was my schedule was brutal. But we hooked up with an excellent brother, Professor Charles V. Hamilton, a political scientist at Lincoln University. We produced the book Black Power, more than a collaboration between Brother Hamilton and me, that book was in many ways a collective sneak project with a lot of folk, including the aforementioned Elizabeth Martinez, Ivanhoe Donaldson, Cortland Cox, and Jim Foreman all contributed. I remember that there was considerable public interest when the book came out in 1968, but I couldn't really tell you anything about sales or earnings. All my royalties went to SNCC. So here's a brother who wrote a book. All the money went to his organization. But I think for a while that book might have might have paid all our salaries. But certainly it must have been done all right, must have done all right, because two years later, the publisher and Sister Morrison bought out a collection of my political speeches. By then, I was back and forth between Guinea and here. So uh, just an interesting side note on this sister and her connections uh, as first as an English teacher uh, at Howard, uh, influencing uh, Kwame Ture, Ed Brown the brother of Jamil El Amin H. Rap Brown that we talked about last week, uh, one of my uh, most influential teachers, uh, Dr. Cleveland Sellers, and, uh, and Kwame Ture and others, and perhaps Rap when he, when he moved to D.C. and enrolled in Howard. So uh, th just a very interesting note to know the role. See, a lot of times we have people playing roles that we don't know about. Like people always criticizing Booger T. Washington without knowing how much money Booger T. Whoa. Washington put into campaigns like anti-lynching campaigns. You know, Tuskegee became like the official recorder of how many lynchings that were taking place. And Booger T. Washington put his own money into anti-lynching campaigns. A lot of people don't know these kinds of things. So that, that was just something about uh, Sister Toni Morrison that, um, I wanted to bring uh, to the public, it must have been a sight to behold uh, in uh, 1961 when she was about 30 years old, holding like the feds. So uh, we just wanted to uh, mention that. And, um, of course, uh, uh, upon hearing about the sister transition, I went out and immediately pulled a libation to her 
and uh, just one of the many ways that uh, that we have to stay interconnected. A lot of times with people, we you know, you say, well, golly, Tony Morris is not a black power African or whatever, but then behind the scenes, she's publishing these two books. So uh, very, very, very important um, piece of work that was being done there. Um, if, does anybody have any final, uh, closing comments? If not, we'll go ahead and sign off. Anything? Well, brother, you know, it goes back to that concept again of a fragmentation or holism. You know, and too often um, what that concept has brought applicability with a lot of our leaders. And, you know, too often, of course, we tend to pigeonhole uh, many of our leaders ideologically based on a fragment moment in time. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why we always preach. Uh, African-centered holistic thinking. Thank you, uh, Gullah Jack. This has been the African Liberation Media of B.B. Fahodier. B.B. Fahodier, black man. And B.B. Fahodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.